enter the world of mind your own marketing business, explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge from the industry's best, Fjorge is proud to present Mind Your Own Marketing Business with host Joe Barsness. Thanks for joining us on the Mind Your Own Marketing Business podcast. I'm Joe Barsness from web and mobile development team Fjorge, and today on our show, we'll be talking with Paul Maccabee from Maccabee Public Relations. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you so much, Joe. Great to be here. All right. So um, I've, I've known about you and your team for a while, um, but I would love to just hear, um, as always, a little bit about your background and your organization. Our, sure. Our public relations agency and, of course, what the words public relations mean have changed so dramatically with digital and social. But our PR firm is located in the charming North Loop District of downtown Minneapolis. We're just celebrating our 26th anniversary. And uh, we do corporate communications, event and experiential marketing. What you would expect from a PR firm, media relations. But of course, media relations has changed. It means blogs. It means podcasts. It means every kind of content, both earned, paid, and developed by us. Infographics, ebooks. So the exciting thing about this conversation with you, Joe, is the world of public relations has changed from the days when our clients would say, get us on the cover of Fortune magazine, or we really want to be in Business Week. Now they say, we have a podcast, no one's listening, can you help us? Or, oh my God, if you could get us on the Huffington Post, we'd be thrilled. And as early as five years ago, if we mentioned HuffPo, our clients would go, we don't care. But now they realize getting your brand, your company featured online in a high profile uh, media outlet like HuffPo, that's fantastic because then they can share it. They can post it to social. Frankly, it's better than being in a hard copy, a print copy, which is what we used to do all the time. So PR has changed radically and uh, it's great to talk with you about it. Awesome. And we're going to, you know, like what I always want to know is like, how did you end up, uh, you know, uh, starting your own PR firm? How did that all come about? I realized it was 26 years ago. But Joe, it's like it was yesterday. Um, Like most people in public relations, I started in journalism, or at least that's the way a lot of PR people used to start. I was an investigative reporter. I was a music editor. I interviewed rock and roller Ted Nugent, Joan Jett, soul icons, The Temptations. Uh, I was a journalist. And then um, my unusual origin story is I wrote um, an investigative article about the Cool Jazz Festival sponsored by Cool Cigarettes. I didn't know at the time that the newspaper that I was employed at had a quarter of a million dollar advertising contract with the cigarette companies. I was fired the next morning. I thought my life was over. And I was so angry, I reached out to the Wall Street Journal in New York, to their tobacco reporter, told my story about the power of tobacco 
advertising, intruding on journalistic integrity. And the Wall Street Journal front-paged my story, front-paged my firing, and an advertising agency in St. Paul, Minnesota, read that article and hired me the next week to lead their public relations division. So a bizarre way of getting into <laughs> PR. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, don't mess with the PR folks, I guess, maybe is part of the story there, but a very intelligent way to uh, take advantage of the situation. I know that's maybe not what you were intended the result to be, but very much a, a positive result from, from that experience. I bet you learned a lot. Yes. Um, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I don't think I was a gr- I worked for other PR agencies, including mm-hmm. Monomar, McGrath and Gavin, which was the biggest PR firm in, in Minnesota at the time. And frankly, I don't think I was a terrific employee. Now that I've been a manager and agency owner for the last 26 years, frankly, I think I'm a better mentor than I was an employee. And part of that is ethics. Public relations people have a lot of power. You know, Harvey Weinstein had a PR agency. The tobacco industry has a PR has multiple PR agencies. And I talk a lot with marketing and PR students about the ethical and moral responsibilities that we have as marketers and PR people. Our agency has turned down clients where we felt their values didn't exactly jive with ours. Quick example, we our agency does a lot of work in mental health. We used to work for Hazelden, the big chemical dependency center in Minnesota, and now work for another addiction treatment center. We've been approached by liquor companies, wonderful liquor companies. The Australian Wine Board reached out right. to us, and we turned it down not because they're bad people, they're great wines, but we said it would be difficult to market liquor while representing alcoholism treatment. So there's, there are ethical judgments. It's not like it's bad or good, mm-hmm. but that's what I love about running my own agency with my two partners that I have. Um, it's deciding to make the moral and ethical judgments that we wish to make. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And um, always interesting stories as to how businesses get started and and what, you know, motivates them and kind of what I would call your core values and, and what you stand for. And, and, you know, like you said, there's nothing wrong with either side of that, but you can't be, it's hard to be on both sides. Very much so. And, you know, cannabis which obviously is sweeping the country, edibles with with a small amount of THC were just approved in the state of Minnesota. Um, That does present an interesting puzzle for marketers. Um, We have worked briefly with a CBD company, um, but there's a lot of money to be made in marketing and promoting cannabis or CBD-related products and I think some agencies are going to jump on that, and then other agencies are going to go, maybe we should wait. And of course, vaping is the same thing. Yeah. Massive changes with Juul. 
the the vaping company. Yep, 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 for sure. Um, uh, you know, with your experience, I have to imagine that you have some have had some cool things that have happened to you over the years. What is like through your career? What is like some highlights of things that you've done other than get your own firing on the Wall Street Journal, um, which I can see right now. I'm surprised it's not behind you on the wall because that's definitely what I would do with it. Um, but what are some other cool things that's happened to you throughout your career or clients that you've worked with or, or impressive results that you've had? Absolutely. So um, we've done a lot of experiential and event marketing work. Because okay. of the pandemic for the last two, two and a half years, there's been a lot less of the traditional event marketing work. But we were hired by Office Max, the giant office retailer, um, to do to be their agency of record and public relations. Um, they uh, their logo was a rubber band ball, a little ball about the size yeah. of your fist. It was on every truck. It was on their business cards. And they challenged us and said, what would you do with a thousand rubber band balls? And at first we thought, well, we could go to downtown Chicago, which is near their headquarters, and pour, spill a thousand rubber band balls into the streets. It would be like the running of the bulls in Pampalona, Spain, only sure. it would be the running of the balls in Chicago. <laughs> we love that idea, but ultimately we flipped it on its head and thought, what about the biggest rubber band ball? Turns out that a guy in Oregon was uh, intent on breaking the Guinness Book of World Records for largest rubber band ball. We reached out to him. We uh, grabbed a spot in downtown Chicago. We had an electronic scale. It was two tons of rubber bands. We hired four weightlifters who stripped to the waist and pushed the mammoth rubber band ball uh, about the size of a Volkswagen um, onto the scale, it made literally every media outlet, not only in America, but in the world. And it drove, the best part is it drove people into Office Max stores. Uh, it differentiated, that's what you want in marketing, it mm -hmm. differentiated Office Max from Office Depot and Staples, who didn't know what hit them when we unveiled the largest rubber band ball. So that was certainly a highlight. The other one is meeting actor Jeff Bridges, who is the spokesperson for a popcorn brand. Uh, this was the video retailers trade show, uh, and it was all videotape, which will give you an idea of how far back this was. Um, Jeff Bridges was the spokesperson for a cause marketing campaign by the popcorn company. And um, I actually got to be Jeff Bridges' bodyguard protecting the actor from the crowd. So th those are two highlights of my PR career. But, but you didn't change to a bodyguard full time. Uh, no, I avoided that just for Jeff. <laughs> All right. So there's one other thing I want to touch on quickly. Um, that's not related to your career, but you have what I would call an interesting hobby. Um, I know we connected about this before the show, but uh, I don't know if it's your your number one hobby, but it's the one we talked about. Um, what's Tell us what that is and, and kind of what you do with that. Sure. I wrote a book called John Dillinger Slept Here, 
a crook's tour of crime and corruption in St. Paul, 1920 to 1935. Um, I was a newspaper reporter a few decades ago, and someone raced into the newsroom screaming, the Godfather has died. The Godfather is dead. And he wasn't talking about the movie, The Godfather. No, The Godfather of Minneapolis, Minnesota, nicknamed Kid Can, real name Isidore Blumenfeld, a Romanian immigrant, had died uh, of old age. Not He wasn't shot or anything like that. Sure. And I thought, are you kidding me? Minnesota had organized crime? Because I'm from Boston. I'm, I'm not originally from Minnesota. And then someone said, well, don't you know, John Dillinger, the bank robber, lived in St. Paul. Ma Barker, um, Babyface Nelson, Machine Gun Kelly, Alvin Creepy Carpus. They all lived here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul. I thought that was amazing. And I had never heard anything about this. Sure. So I filed the largest number of Freedom of Information Act or FOIA requests in FBI history, got a couple hundred thousand pages of FBI files, and wrote a book about the days when the city of St. Paul put out the welcome mat for the most notorious kidnappers, bank robbers, and assassins in America. Because St. Paul thought, as long as we are a safe haven for gangsters, you won't kill us. We don't care if you if you go to Minneapolis and rob a bank. As long as you don't rob banks, Mr. Dillinger, in St. Paul, you're welcome here. And as a result, you would go to a restaurant in the 1930s in St. Paul, and you would see the most wanted man in America, public enemy number one, John Dillinger, eating spaghetti with his girlfriend, Billy Frechette, 10 feet away from you. And it was a thrill. It was like sure. seeing a note. It was like seeing John Gotti, the mafioso. And you would go to your friends later and go, you won't believe who we had dinner with. And then, of course, the gang started kidnapping millionaires and everything went south when yeah and i i mean i know uh, um uh you know I, I worked in saint paul for a while and you know some of the restaurants to this day i've been told and you can despise this myth but or uh, uh is if there's some restaurants with very little windows and i've heard it's because of the gangsters and not having the outside public be able to see who's inside is that is that myth true or false? I have heard similar things. I've also heard that you needed to be careful who you dated. Uh, I talked to a um, newspaper reporter who was told there's a young woman coming to town, Bonnie. Uh, would you take her out in the town? She doesn't know St. Paul. It was Bonnie of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> and it wasn't until about halfway through the meal that apparently the journalists realized, oh my God, I am I am dating at least for the day. I am dating half of the mo of the most notorious gangster duo in history, and he lived to tell the tale. So sure. yes, it was it to say the least. It was an interesting, if infamous, 
time in St. Paul history. So I've always been fascinated by that. And the most fascinating thing to me is why do good people um, tolerate bad guys being in their midst? Because everybody in St. Paul knew that Babyface Nelson, John Dillinger, Creepy Carpus, Bugsy Siegel, as in Bugsy, they were all living among us in St. Paul. Huh. Interesting. Like, it's just a crazy, I, I knew a little bit about that, but I, I can't wait to learn more. It's just a very interesting uh, thing about Minnesota and St. Paul history. Yeah, all right, and, back to. And, and one way that it crosses over to my marketing life at Mac there you go. Public Relations, really, to bring it back to the agencies, is um, as a result of being an author of a book, a somewhat sensational book, I did a lot of TV interviews. And, mm. and was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. But a lot did interviews with A&E and the History Channel. And that was good because a, we media train a lot of the CEOs and managers of the companies that we work with. And most CEOs are a little afraid, particularly of going on television. And so it's good that I had been in the hot seat I saw what it feels like, the adrenaline rush, um, to be on a podcast like this one uh, or to be on television. And I can empathize with CEOs who are preparing to go under the hot lights of the media and help them prepare for what that feels like. Got it. Well, that's a great transition back. Well done, sir. It's like you've done this before. Um, (laughs) I'm sure you were very nervous and you got a huge adrenaline rush from joining this this podcast with me this morning. So um, appreciated that you that that you got over your nerves and were willing to talk to me. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So you have such a great background in this PR world and, and all that. I, I want to take some time to kind of focus on what you've learned over the years and are applying you know, in today's world, which has changed quite a bit from 1996 when you started uh, the firm. Um, so, like, I want to start with, like, like, can you give our listeners any, like, tips, like your rules of the road for PR if you're just starting out or if you're trying to do something for a client that's that's new in the PR world? Like, what are your do's and don'ts and, like, life lessons that you've learned? Sure. That's that's a great question and a broad, a big, exciting of course. question. So um, two answers. The second one is about social media, which is very practical. The first one is your reputation for integrity, your character, is what precedes you in every meeting you do. And uh, we instill in our staff a philosophy of radical integrity. And what that means is um, we will push back on a client if a client says, well, can you say we're the first company to introduce this technology? But if there's four other companies that have introduced that technology, we have to push back and gently say to our client, we need to come up with what differentiates your technology from others, but we can't say you're the first. And that extends to dealing with bloggers, podcasters, editors, TV producers, and our clients. Um, it means when we make a mistake, we let we let people know that we made a mistake. So there's no question 
trust is at the cornerstone of public relations. It always has been. And if someone is starting a career in PR, um, I know that when I am uh, gossiping about other people in the PR community, yes, people talk about how talented people are, but ultimately they go, you know, he's a really good guy, or I really trust her, or she's got your back. That is what leads to a successful career, frankly, in almost anything, but certainly in public relations where clients and the media have so much trust in us. So that's the first one. To answer your second question, life lesson, more tactical, social media. Uh, we manage the social media channels for many of our clients. Sure. One of the biggest things that we bring to the table is mo many, perhaps most companies, if you go and look at their Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, the major channels, I think YouTube is really a social media channel in some ways. It's all about them, like all about them. You'll see their tweets are, we won an award. We hired a new CFO. We whatever. And you think if you were reading a magazine or a newspaper and all you read in that magazine was, we won an award, you'd throw the magazine out. So what we do with our Maccabee agency social media and what we urge our clients to do is be a content curator, be the hub of information about your industry. So if you make um, nanotechnology instrumentation, don't just talk about your products in nanotechnology. Also, talk about um, a Harvard University or Stanford nanotechnology study that was just published in the Journal of Nanotechnology. That way, your social media is of value to your audience. And in our case, not only does our PR agency talk about other PR campaigns that we haven't even been in involved with, we will praise our competitors if friends of ours at another agency win or do an amazing campaign we will congratulate them and it's because if you're if you're a thought leader if you're part of a community that's the way you act you don't just talk about yourself and we see social media follower counts and other metrics soaring when a client decides it's not just about me we'll post content that's of compelling interest to the target audience. I love it. I'm going to uh, make sure our own team listens to that answer. <laughs> your wisdom is, is, is excellent and, and had a great time talking to you. But unfortunately, Paul, uh, that's all the time we have on today's show for Mind Your Own Marketing Business. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. So great talking to you. All right. So you are to our listeners, you can find Paul. I think the easiest way to get there would be his his organization's website at maccabee.com, which is M-A-C-C-A-B-E-E 
B-E-E.com. Thank you again, Paul, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can download episodes of our program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash mindyourownmarketingbusiness or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. 